Now, 1 Corinthians that was just read by Pastor Kyle, it was written by Paul. If you'd grab your notes, this is a man whose life was radically changed by Jesus. In fact, I would say that Paul experienced what many of you experienced last week, Easter weekend, maybe some of you for the first time, and that is the resurrection power of Jesus, who is the Christ, comes into your life when you entrust your life over to him. And if you remember last week when we talked about entrusting your life over to him, I described it as you're putting the full weight of your life on him. You're leaning into him and you're saying, Lord, see, it's one thing to say, well, I believe that could hold me up. It's another thing to put your weight on it. And to say, hi, and to say, you know, I trust you, Lord. And, uh, and so I would just encourage you, if you've not done that, that you begin to do that, that you begin to say, Jesus, I trust you for everything. Now, there were lots of people that made the decision to do that last weekend. It was so encouraging. By the way, we had last weekend a record-breaking 4,100 people come to church. Uh, it was pretty awesome. And uh, for, that's, that's the largest in our history as we understand it. And it was cool because we talked to you about our church launch in Kerman. I've never heard of a church launch quite like this, but praise God, you guys, there were 380 people out in Kerman uh, last weekend uh, that came out. Yeah, you could hear it for that. It's pretty amazing. And uh, by the way, we mentioned last weekend as God was stirring in the hearts of people and ministering to people. Last weekend was a special weekend for us that we do annually because we collect an offering and we say we're gonna give that offering away. We're not gonna keep a dime of it. And last weekend, you all gave $98,000 to be given uh, away to the Lord. So I I love giving good news. Um, Most importantly, we saw, again, people's lives change. We saw baptisms. Again, they were doing this. Lord, I'm going to trust my life over to you. You're going to be the one to hold me up. And guys, that is a powerful thing because when you see somebody being baptized, what you're seeing is they're saying, Lord, I recognize my debt's forgiven, that I'm no longer guilty, that you've provided me with justification. My heart has been cleansed. And the Lord does that. He lifts you out of shame. And then he begins to do something that the scripture calls regeneration. And that is he begins to change you literally from the inside out and your whole story gets redeemed. And God changes things forever as the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, do you wanna know what's so cool? Is that when all of this begins to happen to you, there is a whole new future that's anticipated that God begins to sort of reveal to you that he begins to use for his glory. And so this is what happens with Paul. God changes his life forever and he becomes a man of vision. And by that I mean that Paul learned to see the invisible, he learned to value the imperishable, and because of that, he started to do the impossible. I mean, this guy, God so altered his life, if you read in the book of Acts, you'll just begin to see, my goodness, from the trajectory of where he was going, things got utterly transformed. Now friends, listen. That's what God wants to do in your life. Who's looking for change? God wants to bring powerful change into your life. Today I want to talk to you then about a vision for your future. Because I want to tell you, God really does have a vision for your future. I'm wondering though, you know, as I talk to you, do you have a vision for you? 
And probably a better question is, do you have God's vision for you? Because there is a difference. You may have a vision, but have you caught on to what God's vision is? Because I'm going to tell you, God's plans for you don't stop. He dreams for you. He desires for you. In fact, the scripture says, this is not your notes, but it says, for we are his workmanship. When we come to know Jesus, we are created in Christ Jesus anew to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God's dreaming for you. He's planning for you. He has a future for you. Now, that said, the Bible gives us a warning that you and I need to catch on to, and that is this. Look at this scripture. This is in your notes. Let's read it together, everybody. It says, where there is no vision, people perish. It's really true. In fact, in Young's literal translation, the verse is that a people are made naked who don't have a vision. That what he's saying is, is that there is such a deficit of the human spirit if you don't have vision. There is such a decline in what makes the human being go emotionally and spiritually. The Aramaic in plain English says it exactly this way. It says, where there is no vision, people become, what's the word? Broken. In other words, people aren't going to function the way that they should. They're going to be left wandering. So you say, well, pastor, what is vision? Here's the way I would define it for you, especially as we look at the scriptures. Write this down. Vision is beginning to see the invisible, and because you're following the Lord, you begin to turn that invisible into action. Let me say that again. Vision is seeing the invisible and turning it into action. Now, again, by the way, I'm not talking about when I say invisible, just some vague, vague, uh, nebulous uh, ambition that you have. I'm not talking about just anything. By invisible, what I mean is God's invisible. In other words, you're looking at his plans. You're getting in touch with what God is dreaming. Listen, you all may say, I've got a vision, but do you have God's vision? You may say, I have a good idea, but is it a God idea? Because not all good ideas are God ideas, okay? So are you getting in touch with the dream that God has laid out for your life? You realize that how you do that is, the scripture says, you continue to work out your salvation because you know that it is God who is working in you to act and to will according to his good purpose. You start working out, I refer to this all the time, what God is working in, and you begin to get in touch with something. You start to get in touch with the dreams of God, and it changes everything. Somebody once said that vision, it's, it's really like hope, what you hope God might do, but it's hope with a blueprint. I like that. Because it really is hope with a blueprint when it comes to Christianity. The question is, are you, are you using the blueprint? Are you going to God and saying, God, what direction do you have for me? How would you really have me to live my life? And you begin to seek God and consult with God. I just ask you, what is guiding you? What's determining your vision, your hope, that should have a blueprint? Because I'm just going to say, vision really is the dominant factor of your life. It is. Listen, your vision, you have a vision, it's going to determine your friendships. It's going to determine your relationships. Your vision is going to determine your choices. Your vision is what your prayers are about. 
Your vision is what you're giving your money and your time and your energy to. Do you realize that? It is the dominating factor of your life. Now, if you don't have a vision, then you're just existing. You're not living. You're just going through the motions if you're a person without vision. Listen to me. You're drawing breath, but you're not really drawing life. God says, I want you to see where I'm taking you. In fact, he says, in the last days, young men will have visions and old men will dream dreams. It is a sign of the new covenant that you and I would be dreamers. Helen Keller, you remember her, she was born blind and she was asked once by somebody, she had lost her sight uh, from an illness at 18 months old. And so somebody asked her, what could be worse than being born blind? She said, the only thing worse than being born blind is having sight but no vision. See, it's because this lady understood something about life. Now again, let me be clear. I'm not talking about, when I say vision, I'm not talking about a daydream. I'm not talking about your carnal ambitions or you know, like how much money you're gonna make, for example. That's not the kind of vision I'm talking about. And that's not the kind of vision God's talking about either, to be clear. In fact, the scripture, when it says, notice the scripture again, let's read it again. If you'd throw that up, it says, where, let's read it, where there is no vision, people perish. That word vision in that verse, it's translated many times in English translation, and this is better, where there is no open revelation, people perish, meaning a revelation from God, not just a carnal ambition, that you are saying, God, speak to me, because I am your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that you've prepared for me. Now, I'm just saying he wants to influence your life. And I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from. The things I'm gonna say to you are always true when it's a vision from the Lord. So let me give you some things, ready? How do you know that your vision is a vision from the Lord? Write this down, here's one way you'll be able to tell. Write this down. When it's a vision from the Lord, it'll challenge you to reach higher. Write that down. In other words, complacency sort of becomes non-optional for where God wants to take you. Why? Well, it's simple. God is always growing you. God is always calling you. God is always challenging you. For those that came to Christianity thinking, I did it because I wanted to live the easy life, you're in for a rude awakening. God is always challenging you. For example, there's this interesting verse in 2 Peter, and look at what it says. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, what? Goodness. And to goodness, and to knowledge, and to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, you're to add. And to godliness, and to mutual affection. See what he's saying here? You should always be adding. <laughs> you should always be growing. In fact, notice, in fact, circle the words where it says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, just circle those words, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way, guys. 
If you can't tell me you're growing, if you can't tell me, if you came to Jesus last year and you can't tell me you're more pure than you were last year, if you can't tell me that you're bearing more fruit than you were last year or that you've got more self-control than you did a couple years ago, what is it that Peter is saying? What is he saying the reason is? Does he say that the reason is that somebody needs to crack the whip over you? Is that what he's saying? No. What does Peter say here your problem is? Notice, he says, but whoever does not have those increasing things, he says, is nearsighted and what? Forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. He says you're nearsighted. You've got a vision problem. Isn't that interesting? You're nearsighted. You have a problem with what you see. It really is a vision problem. And he goes on and he says, the problem is, here's how he defines it. He says, you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sin. You have forgotten how far you've come. You have forgotten the grace of Jesus that has forgiven you of everything and you've become unmotivated. That's what he's saying. You're not looking back far enough to see what you were. You've become cold and complacent. Remember what God has saved you from, looking at his grace. And guys, let me tell you something. It is looking at the grace of God and gratefulness and thankfulness to Jesus. That's what changes you. That's why scripture says that it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's the grace of God that teaches us how to live self-controlled and upright lives. Now, conversely, religion isn't gonna do that for you. I'm gonna tell you, legalism is not gonna do that for you. Legalism, religion will never change you. It will teach you rules. It will make you feel like you need to do the proper things to get God's blessing, but it won't change you. Now. I wanna talk about specifics then of God's vision for your life, if it's always growing you. If you have an open revelation from God, there are three components to how God's gonna grow you. And guys, what I'm gonna say is true for everybody. So take good notes, are you ready? This is how you'll know God's growing you. First of all, it'll involve the building of your character. Write that down. It'll involve the building of your character. Why? Because you weren't saved simply so that you could say, oh, my sins are forgiven. God says, I saved you to make you holy. Let me show you something. Ephesians chapter one says this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and what? In his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. Now, I'd ask the question, why did he choose you? What does this say? He chose you to be holy. That's what it's saying here. So that means if he's chosen us, he changes us. He didn't save you just to forgive you. He loves you enough to meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. Do you see? God will always be nudging you. That's why if you say to me today, in 2010, you say, Pastor, in 2010, I know I was saved, but I haven't grown and I haven't changed, but I know I'm saved, I'm gonna ask you, are you sure? What is really going on? Because don't you know, things that are alive grow. Is that true? Things that are alive grow. 
Now, let's just be clear about what the gospel is. If I ask you as a Christian, what is it that makes you holy? Or I say, how do you get holy? There are a couple ways you could go. For example, you could say, well, you're holy because you're chosen. Would that be right? Yeah, I'd say that's right. You're holy because you're chosen. But you're not chosen because you're holy. The order matters. You're holy because you're chosen. Everybody see that? Let me put it another way about the gospel. You're not loved because you're good, but read it with me. You're good because you're loved. See, the loving comes first. The cleansing comes first. But when you really get in touch with that, it will begin to alter the course of your life. If your life has not been altered, gang, there's a problem. You're nearsighted. You've forgotten grace. I'm gonna tell you, one way is biblical, the other is not. One way is not biblical. One is a poser, it poses as the gospel. The other is the gospel. You can either say I'm loved because I'm good, or I'm good because I'm loved. And the first one, it's what I'd call religious nonsense. Because the answer is, if you really know the goodness of God, he's gonna be changing you. So why does God want you to be holy? What's the bottom line here? I'll just say it to you this way. God wants you to be holy because that's what he made human beings to be from the beginning. Don't you see? God's not trying to change you and make you into something you're not supposed to be. You were originally created to have communion with God. Before sin, before the curse, before the fall, God made you and me to walk with him, to commune with him, to relate to him, but the curse of sin has impaired that, and Jesus came to fix the impairment. Now, by the way, that's why Jesus is called the second Adam. Why? Because Adam sinned. And the New Testament says he's the second Adam. Notice, it says, just as sin entered the world through one man, let's go on, it says, you know, skip to the next slide, it says, so also one righteous act by another man resulted in life and justification for all people. Now, do you realize then that every time you sin, your, your sinful nature, your sinning is actually an assault on your new nature? And that's why it doesn't feel good. That's why we feel guilty. That's why we feel shame. I'd say a dangerous time comes when you stop feeling shame. And we live in a culture today, by the way, that has stopped feeling shame. Have stopped getting embarrassed because we've forgotten how to blush about things. But when you sin, I don't mean shame in a negative way, you understand. When you sin, it is that sense that I am out of harmony with God, and that's not right. Somebody says, oh, I feel so guilty, I feel so guilty. Well, I might say to you, well, good. You should feel guilty. Now, cover that with the blood of Jesus and go on and sin no more. Live as he's called you to live. But when you sin, you know what it's like? It's like you're a fish living out of water that dies because it was built for the water. God built you for holiness. You know what you're like? When you're, when you're living in sin, it's like you're a, you're, you're a train that runs off the tracks and now you're trying to drive on a highway. That's gonna destroy the train. Why? Because the train's built for the tracks. God says, I built you for holiness. It's the best way to live a life after Jesus. 
But I, I just mentioned to you, there's a book that I just love by a guy by the name of John Eldridge. And it used to be called, you can just write down the title, I don't have a picture of it for you, but it's called The Utter Relief of Holiness. That's the name of the book. The Utter Relief of Holiness. Because basically the thesis of the book, it's all in the title, it's my goodness, your life would be so much simpler if you just start to live the way Jesus said. It just gets so much easier. And of course, this is why Paul says, so notice, let's go back to 1 Corinthians, he says, so I don't run aimlessly, I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I want to be like him. I want to live like him. I want to share his values. I want to act on his vision. Now, second, listen to me. This is very important. If you have a vision from God as you grow, it will involve building of your character You'll begin to want to get over the garbage that's been holding you down, but it will also involve, write this down, ambition for the gospel. I just ask you, is anybody here ambitious for the sake of the gospel? Why? If you've got God's vision, you've got to be. You know why? Because the gospel's God's dream. <laughs> the gospel is God's plan in action. And if it's God's dream and you're in touch with God, it ought to be your dream. Notice, Jesus says to his followers, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. See that in your notes? It says, go and do it. And what does Paul say in Corinthians? Look, let's read this together. He says, I do all things for the sake of the what? In fact, if you just study the life of Paul, you begin to realize he lived and breathed the gospel. He wasn't a, he wasn't a professional minister. He was actually a tent maker. That was his vocation. But all that he did in business, he did to support the spreading of the gospel. What does he say in 2 Timothy? He says, for this reason, I endure all things for the gospel that people would obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus Another place, in 2 Corinthians, he says, and for the sake of your souls, I will most gladly spend my money. I will most gladly spend myself. He's saying, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Now listen to me, friend. You say, Pastor, how do I know I have a vision and it's from God? Does your vision include the sharing of the gospel? If it doesn't, you need to take a look at that. Because if it's God working in your heart, that's what he stirs up, because that's his dream. Gosh, how the Lord wants to see souls saved. By the way, our next series that we're going into next week is all about this. It's our series called Come and See, which is attached to our campaign called Come and See. But it's attached to it because this is the heart. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Finally, how do you know your vision is from God? Write this third thing down. You will come to find that you care less about your glory and you care more about the glory of God. You care more about what's going, how he's reflected and you wanna live your life like that. Now, you say, Pastor Shane, it sounds like you're telling all of us that we have to be in full-time ministry. Some of you are probably thinking that right now. You're telling... You're saying all of us have to be in ministry like you. And I would say to you, you are exactly right. Now, I don't care what you do for money. 
Every person here, if they have God's vision, is in full-time ministry. Every person here is thinking about how do I reflect the glory of God so that my life is used to bring others into the church, into Jesus Christ. How can I be ambitious for the kingdom of God? When it's a vision from the Lord, that's how. It will cause you to grow more, reach higher. But in addition, the vision of the Lord is challenging because if you just write this down, when it's a vision from the Lord, it'll not only challenge you to reach higher, but it'll challenge you to run farther. Write that down. It'll challenge you to run farther, run farther than you ever thought. Why? Because the Christian race is a long distance race. It's not a sprint. It's your, yeah, it's your entire life. God's calling is for a lifetime, and God says it doesn't stop. Do, have you noticed how the Apostle Paul, who we're reading from today, he always refers to the Christian life as an athletic exercise. Have you noticed that? In the book of Ephesians, I don't have it in your notes, but he refers to it as a wrestling match. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Now, you know what's interesting about wrestling? Wrestling is a sport that never stops until somebody gets pinned. It is exhausting. But there are no breaks until you get pinned or you pin your enemy. Paul was saying there's no breaks. You think the enemy takes a break? No, you're called to ministry. Or he says this. Notice he writes to Timothy and he says, I have fought the good fight. He's at the end of his life and he refers to it as a race. He says, now I have finally finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is in store for me a crown of righteousness from the Lord, the righteous judge who will award me on that day. And guys, I'm gonna say that day is what's called the great day of the Lord. I haven't told uh, you guys this yet, but in, in the summer, we're gonna do a whole series on revelations. And I'm gonna tell you that one of the things that we ought to be thinking about is that great day of the Lord. When the Lord will appear with a trumpet sound, and it says he will judge us all. And he says, God, on that day, and not only me, but also all who have longed for your appearing. That means you. And so we, in Hebrews, he refers to it as a race. And he says, and so let us run with perseverance. The race that's marked out for us. Now, I want you to notice something. You say, does God have a plan for me? Notice it says the race that's marked out for you. There is a race. It is marked. What's your job? It's to seek the face of God. It's to get in touch with God and say, God, what do you want for me? Listen to me, I hear too many Christians and their life is about, oh God, here's my plan. Bless me, Lord. Oh, bless me, Lord. It's all you ever hear. God says, don't you see, I want you to get in touch with my plan. It's not about your plan. Let us run with perseverance. It's gonna tire you out, he says. It's gonna be hard. It takes stamina. Well, how do you run it? How do you run it? I, what I want to do is, that, that's how you know it's a vision from God. What I want to do here to close is just tell you how you tap into it. How do you start going for it if you're going to live this out? Are you ready? Now, guys, I can't I say to you, you're watching 11 o'clock, you're here at 9 o'clock, whatever it is. This is so important because where we're going as a church over the next five weeks with this campaign, Come and See, is all about personal vision and corporate vision together. 
But I'm telling you, we are just looking at the biblical mandates from God about what we're to live for. And I want you to be ready for that because I want it to be glorious. The people that are gonna come to know Jesus Christ because we bound together and said we have a vision. So what do you have to do? Number one, write this down. First step is this. You've gotta seize your personal responsibility for it. You gotta seize your personal responsibility. You remember, you know, Paul's metaphor. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. What's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm intentional about how I live. I live intentionally. Listen, life doesn't just happen to you. You happen it. You make it happen. You make choices. A choice, by the way, gives birth to a habit. A habit gives birth to a lifestyle. A lifestyle gives birth to a destiny. That's where you're going. Let me say that again. Think about the choices you make. A choice gives birth to a habit. A habit gives birth to your lifestyle. Your lifestyle will give birth to your destiny. And God says, I need you to look at where you're going. Take responsibility. And if you begin to live intentionally and begin to seek the face of God in prayer every morning, oh God, what would you have me do? What you're going to find is you're gonna become hungry for the spread of the gospel. You will. There's no way around it. This is why he says in the passage that we read, notice, Paul says, for necessity is laid upon me. He says that I might win more of them. What's he talking about? Is he talking about winning more money? He's talking about winning more people. You know what it is? It is a burden that happens because of the transformation of the work of the Holy Spirit when you do this. God will begin to move in you. Notice Acts, what it says. Look right here. Acts says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be what? My witnesses. Now I know many of you in here right now as I sit here and talk to you so comfortably, many of you right now, you're saying, Lord hasn't called me to be an evangelist. I've never shared my faith with anybody. I'm telling you right now, the Lord has called every person in this room to be a witness. That's what scripture says. Now what does being a witness mean? It means you're called to bear witness to the change that Jesus Christ has made in your life. You're called like you would be a witness at an accident to say, here's what I've seen, here's what I've touched, here's what I've experienced, I have to tell you about it. Here's what I've witnessed. And there's no exceptions to that. God calls and he says, here's what's gonna happen. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will naturally become that. There's a burden. When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, come and follow me, what does he say? He says, come and follow me and I will what? I will make you into something. What is he gonna make you into? Fishers of men. By the way, in the Greek, that means to go and catch men alive. Go catch them. Now I'm gonna tell you guys, you say, well, pastor, this is easy for you to say because you're a pastor. Guys, I wanna remind you I came to North Point Church as an attender. It is a miracle that I'm your pastor. I came here and hid in the back. I sat in the back for a couple of years before I even got involved. My wife got more involved than I did. I needed, I was a fly on the wall checking it out, needing to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. I was restored into ministry over time. Gosh, that was like 20, 
20 years ago now, 21 years ago, uh, since I started attending. But I'm going to tell you this. When I was in my most broken state, you couldn't stop me from sharing my faith. I was working in human resources and in workforce development, and I was connecting with a lot of people, and I would bring people to church because it's like, people would, they would know because of what God was doing in my life, people would say, you're kind of religious, aren't you? And my answer was always the same. I don't want to call myself religious, but faith works. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll tell you, come to church with me this weekend. And you know what? I loved bringing my friends to North Point because North Point is such an easy church to bring people to. And I'd bring them here, and I didn't have to do the heavy lifting. I made Steve Williams do the heavy lifting. <laughs> They'd come to know Jesus. There are people here going to church today because of that season in my life. I'm going to tell you right now, you couldn't pay me to preach the gospel. I happen to be paid now to lead North Point, be the, be the uh, pastor at North Point, one of the pastors at North Point. But I'm telling you, I'd be preaching regardless. In fact, you know in my workplace, they started to call me pastor when I wasn't a pastor. Isn't that weird? And it wasn't because I sent out those cutesy emails with scripture verses. I never did that. And it wasn't because I was always preaching at people. I didn't do that. I, were their, I was their friend. And I bore witness to what Jesus was doing in my life. And so should you. Now, by the way, I have to tell you about this conference that's coming up. It's going to be at Clovis Hills, uh, one of our cousin church, Clovis Hills, our sister church in Clovis. And it's called an on-target evangelism uh, conference, and uh, they're gonna, it's going to happen several days of the week. I encourage you to check this out online. Just online, look up on Target, but check it out, guys. Today, they gave me 25 tickets to get away, so if you want to know how to share your faith, they're going to be at the welcome booth, informational booth. It's first come, first serve. I'm going to have 25 tickets, but it is worth the cost to go. Now, if you decided to go to this, by the way, about all about sharing your faith with uh, Lee Strobel and Miles McPherson. I'm just going to say that the swag bag you get has over $30 of stuff that they gave me. I mean, the, some incredible books, mugs for the new coffee shop we're building. Um, that was a quick teaser, um, quick commercial. Uh, there's a nice mug in there. There's multiple books, but it's well worth the cost for you guys to go to this. Why? Because look what Jesus said. Jesus said, therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, do you have a vision for that? By the way, i got to do another commercial, because on May 1st, we're going to have a, a meeting for all those that would like to go to Israel with me and Ronnie. We're going to be leading the trip this year. And uh, I really, listen, we know how to have fun in Israel. Really want you to go. But here's the reason. You go back and look at the scripture I just read where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. We literally go to what is very likely the place where that great commission happened on top of a mountain, and it is unbelievable. If you are interested in going to Israel with us, um, come to an informational meeting May 1st, because we'd love to take you. Point is, is that he saved you. And he wants you to reach out to others. He didn't call you to be members of, you know, Christians Anonymous. He didn't call you to be like this reservoir of, of truth that you just hang on to it. No, he called you to be a river of revival that you and I are supposed to, we're not supposed to just keep the faith, we're supposed to give it away. Paul says, for necessity is laid upon me, is what he says. And that's why next week we're gonna kick off and talk about what come and see means 
and how you say to your neighbors all the time, come and see. Now, number two, write this down. You've got to live with an open availability. You've got to take responsibility, but you've also got to live with an open availability. Now, you want to see the Apostle Paul had complete availability. Look at verse 19. He says, for though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Notice, that's just like what he says, by the way, if you've ever read Romans chapter one, look what he says in Romans. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I am a debtor both to the wise and the unwise. What is he saying? He's saying, I don't live for me. I live indebted to them to bring them to Jesus. He's saying, everything I do, I am indebted to them. That's why I do everything that I do. That's how important it is. Same as in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, I have made myself a servant of all, of everybody. Paul didn't see people divided into upper class and middle class and lower class. Paul didn't see people divided socially or economically or racially. Paul always tried to meet people where they are. If anything, Paul saw people divided into two categories. There were those who knew Jesus Christ and there were those who didn't know Jesus Christ. And he lived with a mission. You want to start living with an open revelation? Adopt that mission. Have an adaptability that just says, I'm going to meet everybody. There's nobody I'm closed off to. That's a vision from the Lord. Then number three, write this down. You employ a compassionate adaptability. Adaptability. Now this is fascinating. Because you notice in verses 20 to 22, he says, to the Jews... I became as a Jew in order to win who? Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now, what is this about? Paul is accommodating himself to others. Now, guys, this is fascinating because the church is so lacking this today. How many Christians do I see on Facebook that are at odds with other people because of differences of opinions, whether it's politics or, or uh, whether it's you know, an opinion about, I mean, this or that, all through the COVID days, and it is so sad because do you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, my opinion will vary depending upon you. To those under the law, I become like those under the law so that I'd save people. To those who are Jews, I'll become like a Jew in order to save people. Paul says, you know what? What's the good of saying you know the truth and you're right if it doesn't save anybody? So he adapts himself. He, look, he says, he goes on, he says, to the weak I became what? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Isn't that an amazing thing? Gosh, you know, you know who Paul is like? Paul, Paul is like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, what was he? Jesus was a friend of sinners, although he knew no sin. Gosh, I'm glad he's a friend of sinners. Because that means he's a friend of mine. And I've never been the same because of that. But he was such a friend of sinners, he became like others and adapted to them that literally people saw the way he lived and what did they say about him? They said, look, this guy comes eating and drinking. You say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, because he was so adaptable, always willing to meet people where they were. Paul the apostle, he, he exercised this same kind of thing. 
You know, one time Paul was on Mars Hill and he's preaching the gospel to people and he sees a statue. He was passing, looking at all these idols to all these false gods. They were worship, they were, they were, they were deep, deeply steeped in polytheism. But look, it says, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. He said, you see that altar right there? That one is Jesus Christ. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't debate polytheism versus monotheism. He doesn't say, man, you guys are screwed in your head. There's only one God, all these statues, nothing. No, he looks at a statue and he says, see that one right there? That one's Jesus the Christ. Let me tell you about who Jesus is. You talk about adaptability. He's looking for an interest store and he's willing to step up. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt heals, salt preserves, salt flavors. Most of all, it penetrates. So you wanna start living with an open revelation from God, you begin to get adaptable. Number four, recognize this. Recognize your ultimate accountability before God. That one day God is gonna look at you and he's gonna look at me and he's gonna say, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What did you do with the time that I gave you? God is gonna look and he's going to say, what did you do with the money that I gave you? You know, I'll close with this story. I, I, got, a, I got a kick out of it. It's an old story. There were some immigrants that had come from the old country. Um, they came from the eastern shores to the United States, and they were going out west, you know, like many did back in the day, to seek their fortune. So they got some covered wagons, and they got some horses, and they started across the continent, and it was hard. And uh, they got right into the middle of their journey, but they started running low on water. <laughs> They started running low on provisions. Their children started to whine and complain. How many of you love that? Their horses were completely losing their strength. In fact, the truth is they were gonna die if they didn't find any water. So here's what they did. They got four of the strongest horses and four of the strongest riders and they got them to go different ways out into the wilderness. They loaded them down, filled their canteens with water and they sent them in four different directions. One of the men was across the desert and the sun was boiling until his horse began to snort and sniff because it had caught the scent of water and an oasis and all that. So they, they began to head toward it and as he gallops toward the oasis, he found that there was a beautiful pool of water. He just jumped off that horse. He let go of the bridle and they both dived into the water. He sat there in the water. He soaked the water into every pore of his skin. He took the water, can you imagine, in his cowboy hat. He just dumps it on his head, you know. He's bathing his body. His lips were cracked. His horse was thirsty. He splashed the horse. He loaded his canteens full of water. He gets back on the horse, and he turned back to go to the caravan to tell them where the water was. But then he thought to himself, why should I go back? I mean, nobody will ever know whether I found water or not. They're never gonna know. And I'm already so much further to where we're going. I'm headed the direction, I should just go on. And you know what he did? He did exactly that, true story. According to the account I read, later he was found out that he left those people, even though he knew where they could get water. 
Now, I just ask you a question. What do you think should be done to a man like that? I mean, you just think about that. Somebody that selfish. What do you think would be a fitting punishment for a person like that? A man whose loved ones and relatives and friends, he left dying in the desert. He knew where there was a source of water. He knew where a source of life was, but he just decided he's going to go on and not share it? What kind of a punishment do you think someone like that deserves? Guys, I'm just going to say to you, what kind of accounting are you going to have before God if you know where the source of life is and you just say, I'm going to go on and you're not willing to share Jesus? I'm going to tell you, if I decided to do that, that would make me a far greater criminal than this guy. I hope that God leads us to say, God, we're going to begin to uh, conform our lives to your vision, to reach people where they are, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you help us, Lord? Help us to grab on to your vision. Lord, help us to uh, not just capture your vision, but to be captured by it. And that we would just desire to live for you. Lord, we would be willing to lay down um, our needs and all the things that we think are so important. And we'd be willing to say, God, it's for you that we live and move and have our being. That we'd begin to take joy in your plans as we spend time with you. Lord, break our hearts with the things that break your heart. Change us. Make us follow after you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You know, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'd say, you know, I've never really trusted Jesus, not to where I'm really putting the weight of my life on him, like we talked about last week and again this week. If you'd like to do that, I just want to invite you to pray with somebody in our lounge. There's a couple people over there already ready to pray with you, but they'll meet you there. You can take a moment with God. You don't have to go to God alone. We want you to know Jesus and the joy that comes from following him. There's nothing like that, guys. There's also, you'll notice as you leave, some QR codes on signs. If you just scan that, that'll take you to some websites with information about how you can know Jesus Christ. You'll see those as you leave the patio. Don't forget, if you want to go to this conference at Clovis Hills, uh, you know, that's first come, first serve, but it's worth the cost even if you miss a free one. But uh, we love you guys. Really appreciate you being here to worship with us. I'm going to turn it back to our host. God bless you.